Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. Fletcher Henderson here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for listening. I hope I'm, I'm putting out enough power here. I want to make sure. I want to make sure these golden words are not missed. Let me see. That, turning that button gives me a little bit more, perhaps too much. Let me turn it back to there. See how that does. David up in Washington, who sends me good things about every day. David up in Washington sent me some new exercises to do every single morning. I've been pretty good about doing them. It says to begin by standing on a comfortable surface where you have plenty of room at each side. With a five-pound potato sack in each hand, extend your arms 
straight out from your sides and hold them there as long as you can. Ugh. Try to reach a full minute and then relax. Each day you will find that you can hold this position for just a little bit longer. After a couple of weeks, move up to 10-pound potato sacks. You can see where this is going. Then try 50-pound potato sacks. And then eventually try to get where you can lift a 100-pound potato sack in each hand and hold your arms straight out for more than a full minute. After you feel comfortable at that level, put a potato in each one of the sacks. always hurt the one you love the one you shouldn't hurt at all you always take the sweetest rose and crush it till the petals fall. Now, excuse me there, Mr. Carl Grayson. I'll tell this little girl all about this year's situation. Now, honey child, you knows that you always seems to break the, uh, well, the very kindest soul of our heart with a hasty word that you just can't seem to recall. Honey child, honey lamb, honey baby, honey doll, honey pie. Now then, if this boy, now mind you, I says, uh, if this year boy done broke your heart last night, honey child, honey lamb, honey baby, honey doll, honey pie, is because he love you the most of all. heard on the radio since you were a small person. When man started to live in small communities thousands and thousands of years ago, certain social rules evolved to keep good neighbors from killing each other. Ever since then, there's been a general disagreement about what a government is supposed to do. 
you know very well that some people think that the purpose of a government is to provide security, municipal services, education, health care. And these people realize that services that make life worth living cost money and that it is their tax money that makes it possible. Today, the countries with the highest taxes, like Holland and Sweden, well, everybody knows that they have the highest standard of living. My friends and relatives who have worked in countries like Nigeria, where taxes are low, well, they told me that the natives in the cities sit on street corners and cook over burning rubber tires. They told me that Nigerian streams are nothing more than open sewers cluttered with plastic. You're escorted, my friend told me, my cousin told me, he was escorted to his barricaded office by armed guards. Now, not many of us would want to live in Nigeria where taxes are low. But in every country there are people who do not like government, they do not like taxes, they want all the benefits, of course, of good roads and a good education and a good income, but they wail and they rend their garments when asked to help pay for it. They're scared somebody's going to get something, and they're going to have to pay for it. Now, these two groups of people, naturally, naturally they form political parties through which they fight to achieve their goals. And interestingly enough, no matter which party is in office, the party that claims that government doesn't work is always doing everything it can to prove that they are right.
Fletcher Henderson here on The Humble Farmer, where, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old, 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 old-fashioned music every week at this time, just for you. Thank you again for listening. We all have things that we can do. You know what you can do, and you know what you can't do if you're an adult. And, of course, I know the things I cannot do. And I think that an adult, don't you think that an adult might be defined as a person who knows what he can do and what he can't do and isn't afraid to admit it? The email I received said, Humble, don't you remember what I thought of as Plan A? Of course I don't remember anything about Plan A. Now, because I'd like you to learn a little more about me, you might listen closely to the reply I sent to this person. Please realize that I don't remember much of anything. My talent, if I have one, is not in remembering, but in synthesizing that which I have recently heard and presenting it back to you and other friends as original material. What is this, a ballad? No way do I want to play a ballad. Thank you. 
look forward to getting older, you know, because as you get older, life gets simpler. I called a man in Farmington, and the man said I called him the week before and asked him the same question. Isn't that wonderful? Because it's true that you might do the same thing two or three times, but you know, it don't worry you because you don't realize you, you don't realize you've already done it. And when you get old, you have reached the age of impunity. Nobody knows or cares if you've done anything or not. You probably know that I learned the word impunity years and years ago when I first read about poor old, poor old Rip Van Winkle. I quote, Having nothing to do at home and being arrived at that happy age when a man can do nothing with impunity... He took his place once more on the bench. When you read Rip Van Winkle, did you see an aged man coming down from the mountains to rejoin his neighbor's long white beard and rotten musket in his hand? Or did you ever do the math? The way I read this story, after poor old Rip Van Winkle woke up from his 20-year nap and came back to town to retire as one of the town elders, he was 43 years old.
Thank you for listening. My friend Bone over in Holland sent me a web page. And this web page is pretty comprehensive when it comes to travel in Europe. Listen to this. Among other things, I read that France's capital is home to haughty couture, cozy bistros, and bohemian cafes. <laughs> Are you startled by this news? What did you think you'd find in Paris? Beer festivals, sauerkraut, and Wiener schnitzel? Who do you suppose writes these things? here on the humble farmer where with any luck at all you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you i once read that stephen king looks like a man who has all his clothes handed down to him by his older brother and don't you think that's one of the nicest things you could say about anyone why should any main man be concerned about what he is wearing does stephen king 
or any other Maine man with an IQ under 80 or over 120 give a rat's rear end what people think about what they are wearing? Don't comfort and efficiency account for anything? To begin with, you've seen me. You know that my pants have to have four pockets on the front, one on either side, four inches to the outboard side of the knee. In the left pocket, you carry your wallet and your comb, and on the right pocket that you've had sewed on, you carry your notebook and two pants. And, of course, you can't buy pants with pockets exactly where you want them. So I have my wife, Marsha, the almost perfect woman, sew them on. And I also take a razor blade and cut the tags off the collars off my shirts, you know, so they don't chafe on my neck. But other than the comfort and efficiency issues, as long as I'm wearing a blue necktie and a blue shirt and a $2 lawn sale jacket when I go to, go to work, I, I really don't care what I'm wearing. Because here, don't be confused here, I am not talking about the people who go out of their way to dress in weird-looking threads, you know, just to make an anti-fashion statement. I'm talking about the people who really don't think about what they're wearing. I can remember playing a gig one time with an excellent trombone player. He showed up wearing some checkered bell-bottom pants from the 1960s. And I said to him, I know that you must be a fantastic trombone player, because nobody else would wear such weird-looking threads. And of course he was.
And when they get done, they are done. There's no fooling around about it. Table manners, you know, are changing in this country. Have you noticed that it's getting so that if you want someone to feel comfortable when they come to your house for supper, you serve them on paper plates on a plastic tray with plastic forks and a paper cup. And of course, if you've noticed this without even thinking, you know, they get up when they finish, dump the paper and plastic into a big barrel, throw, the, throw their tray on a pile next to the barrel and leave. The only thing that seems to remain the same as the good old days is the absence of a tip.
Ruby Braff and Scott Hamilton and Dave McKenna playing good things here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening many, many years ago. Many, many, many years ago. There was a man who would bebop into St. George, Maine with a $100 bill in his pocket. This man would go into a store and he'd select two or three small items and then he'd plunk down that $100 bill. And of course, they could never change that bill. No one ever had that much money. So he, he'd charge it and tell them that he'd pay for it later. Which was, of course, like getting it for nothing. Now, let me back up here a little bit. I can remember, I can remember when I was a kid, my father used to ask, What is bread in old Kentucky? The answer was, 15 cents a loaf. And what I'm trying to impress you with here is that when bread was 15 cents a loaf, a hundred dollars was much more than it is now when it takes about that much to fill up your car with gas. Anyway, I was told that Ralph, who was famous for being clever, knew about this hundred dollar bill scam, and he knew this fellow was coming by to buy something from him. So he scampered about in the neighborhood, dozen or more friends, until he had scraped together a hundred dollars in small bills. And of course, when that fellow whipped out his $100 bill, Ralph changed it. And that put an end to that foolishness.
be ready for him that time. I caught him that time, didn't I, huh? <laughs> what was that? I caught him that time. Anyway, you are listening, of course, to The Humble Farmer, for which I thank you. This is your favorite local station. And here, every week at this time, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you. And I have to say, with any luck at all, I do not watch that much regular television. You know, we have Roku, commercial-free television. I don't watch uh, regular television anymore. But my friend Julian was intrigued by the caveat emptor that is included in each televised Viagra ad. Right there in the ad, Julian says, men are warned about the dangers of Viagra. Of course, they don't come right out and tell you what these dangers are. Yes, they do say that if the pill is still working after four hours, go to, the, go to a hospital. <laughs> Good luck with that. Can you imagine your wife letting you out the door? Yes, the ad does warn you that you can sustain damage after four hours, but can you guess what it is? You don't have enough skin left on your body to close your eyes. Julian says that when you go to the hospital, they fit you with dark glasses so the sun won't make you squint. Thank you. 
was right there. Well, that wasn't my... Um, do-do-do, Robert and Bath. Oh, we got time for a little more. Thank you for listening. Robert and Bath says that Harvard will set tuition for students at no more than 10% of their family income. Wow. Just my luck not to have any kids, huh? I could send them all to Cambridge and Harvard would owe me money. Henderson. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. If you have listened to me telling stories for any amount of time, and I thank you if you have, you know that the import of what I have to say usually hinges on the last word in my last sentence. And the significance of this story also hinges on the last word in the story I'm about to tell you now. So please Remember that. Pay close attention. Once upon a time, there was a small restaurant on a dock in Tenant's Harbor. 
The cook, whose name was Chet Raleigh, was sweating over a hot grill cooking up hamburgers for two summer-cating women. And it got so hot in the kitchen that Chet came out into the dining room and opened the door, you know, to give himself a little bit of the refreshing fog that's always blowing across Tenant's Harbour. Finding the fog on her ankles uncomfortable, one of the women got up and closed the door. A panting Chet promptly marched out of the kitchen and opened it again. But it wasn't long before the woman, of course exercising her prerogative of the customer always being right, got up and opened it again. Whereupon, Chet came out of the kitchen with a screwdriver and removed the hinges 